Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is June, and I want to give a shout-out to all the wonderful people who go to Patreon.com and support Seth Lustig Bruce. Let's give a wonderful thank you to Jeff Ulmer, Sylvian L., Liz Brunson, Fernando Santamaria Lozano, Steve Vansack, Rob Barnett, Randy Brown, Crystal Carroll, Bella Pori, John Munson, Betsy Hodges, Levi Petrie, Stephen Malio, Captain America, Dale Hosack, Terry Smith, Anna Lynn, Chris Bloom, and Mary Thomas. Thank you so much for being here and providing support. Because of these wonderful people, Set Lusting Bruce continues to happen. For now, on to the podcast. And one of my friends... I think it was Dan Smith turned on a Van Morrison from from one of his one of his I think amazing albums no guru no method no teacher and something about it just went straight to me like it got inside me and so that that thing about Van Morrison is the way he writes music but to me it was something that just resonated it like you know how when a pitchfork resonates it at a certain tone, it like gets in your bones and your bones start to shake with it. For me, Van Morrison was that I heard him and I went, Oh my goodness, something there speaks to me. It's not that I hadn't heard previously moon dance and some of the, his early work, but it was more in the sort of early rock stuff. The stuff that I was listening to was his deeply philosophical, spiritual stuff. And well, the struggle I was having in seminary, trying to figure out what's this about and why am I doing this? And then hanging out with people who really were questioning a lot of it. Van Morrison, to me, was the epitome of that for me. It wasn't for everybody. It just he happened to play it this one night. And I went, who the heck is that? And I locked in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusty Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We are getting off the Bruce train today, though I'm sure he will come up as he normally does. Um, I am talking to a fellow podcaster. We are going to talk a little Van Morrison, 
And it's an early Sunday morning, and I'm looking forward to a great conversation. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you, Jesse. It's great to be here. I'm really excited to spend some time with you talking about music and what what makes our lives better. Yeah, so tell us a little about yourself, Tom. I am a, a closely approaching 60-year-old um, man who is married to an amazing woman, I live on the banks of the Niagara River looking across from the U.S. into Canada. So if you go over Niagara Falls, you pass our house in about seven minutes, depending on how fast the water's flowing. I spend my days as an executive coach, as a an advisor to CEOs, and, and then I spend a lot of time on my boat on the river, on the Niagara River. And so that's a little bit about my life and what I do. What kind of boat do you have? I have a really cool little boat. It looks like it's a Customs and Border Patrol or a a Coast Guard boat. It's got those really thick walls on it. It's just a, a little one, but it's it's called a life-proof boat. They're called an indestructible, and they're designed not to go down. They're built to take anything, and that's what I spend my days during the summer on the river, the Niagara River, playing with in my off time. Very nice. Fishing, just... No, uh, I I prefer just being on the river, sometimes take photos, sometimes just spend the time just breathing different air, and uh, and that gives me a chance to do that. So it's, the Niagara River is a really cool zone because it's a globally recognized bird sanctuary, and so we, we have all kinds of birds and wildlife in terms of eagles and different things like that that are constantly part of the river. So it's an enjoyable part of life for me when I spend all my days trying to help people figure their lives out. It's nice for on weekends and evenings to go down and get on the boat and just cruise on the river. And as summer approaches, you you get into the river and swim and it's it's delightful. So that that does sound a lot of fun. My uh, that would have been my wife loves that. She is a very mm. much an outdoors person. I tend to be more, hey, let's stay inside where there's air yep. conditioning. But I get that. I get the idea. Yeah. All right. I always like to start at the beginning. So talk about, Tom, growing up. Where did you grow up? And what kind of music, if any, did your family listen to when you were a little one? Yeah. So I grew up in southwestern Ontario, Canada. So west of Toronto, between Toronto and Detroit, about halfway between those two. And I grew up in a conservative religious family. Uh, we weren't allowed to have uh, radio music in the house. What we had in the house were primarily American country gospel. So if you're familiar with certain types of gospel music, I'm not talking black gospel, I'm talking Gaither gospel, if that distinction yeah. is, is valuable. Yeah, um, the Gaither so, trio. Yeah. yeah, the Gaither quartets. And then they had yeah. this, Bill Gaither had this realm of people around him in his world. And part of my life, and we didn't have TV in our house either, just because the nature of, of the environment I was growing up in. And so music became a really important thing to me. I would pull the albums out and we had lots of albums and I would pull those albums out and listen to them and watch them, even though it wasn't what my friends at school might be listening to. That was the music I grew up with. So tight harmonies, really a range of different styles. And so it wasn't always just country gospel. It was other types. And with no TV in the house, music became a really important thing. My mom was a piano player 
And we had a piano in our house, which was always being played, whether it was myself, my my sisters. I wasn't a good piano player, but I could sit down and play it. And so that was the that was the music of the family. And yet for me, a lot of times, the music that I listened to that became really important to me, I listened to under the cover. And it was music that I pirated into the house in in different ways. And back then it was just through cassette tapes. So cassette tapes were the smallest thing. We had albums, we had eight tracks and cassettes in that early period of my life before high school. And that was a really important thing. So I found, I lived on a country road and in the on this particular road, one day I was walking and I found a tape called Solid Gold. And I happen to have an old cassette tape player in the house. And I would take that up and I would hide that cassette under the carpet in my the back of my closet in my room so nobody would find it. And late at night, I would go in and with a little headphone, listen to Solid Gold. And then somebody got me a meatloaf album and Bat Out of Hell came into my house and that I would have been dead if that had been caught in my house, but but I, that's what I listened to hidden in the closet because that there was something about that. And then my one of my close friends who was in the same religious community that I grew up in had an old Best of Bread album and listened to a lot of Best of Bread sort of when we could and when. We, so in my early childhood, I had this sort of dichotomy of this world of religious, deeply religious music no radio, no nothing like that. And on the other side, hidden in my closet, listening to Bat Out of Hell. So it was a delightful, uh, a delightful sense <clears throat> of two worlds that I lived in. Tom, do you remember any songs that were on that Salad Gold cassette? I don't remember any songs. I've thought about it many times to go try and find that one. But Solid Gold was a thing that happened back then. They would just create these tapes right. and they would just have. But it, for me, it was it was just a... It was a window that I got into a world that I never got a window into in most times. And um, there was tons of different ones. They were like KTEL and there was a whole bunch of names around those that came out. And uh, and so I don't recall those specific, the specific songs. I wish I did, but I just remembered it being something that ignited something in me that really drove me forward. So much so that I, going preparing for high school, I decided music was my thing. I was going to be a musician in high school and not maybe in the traditional sense, but my goal in high school was to sing in choirs and to be in the band. And, uh, and that's what I did. I actually became a tuba player in high school and I joined the choir and was deeply involved in music because I just loved it. I, there were, there was something about it that just got in my bones. So. I, I love the idea that instead of, hiding away cigarettes or a playboy or or pot you're hiding your buddy's best of bread yeah. okay let me borrow it for the day yes well, uh, and, and that was that was my world because it, you mm -hmm. weren't allowed to bring anything else sure. into it and it was this cloistered kind of world that uh for me music was the pathway to something different something better than the world i was living in and so that's why i yeah i was I don't know what they call it, hustling tapes on the side. So the do you think and we'll go a little deep here and then we'll move on. Yeah. Is it was it the actual joy of the music or was it a little bit of forbidden fruit or was it both? Do you think? Oh, absolutely both. 
Okay. It was the joy of the music. Uh, the joy of the music was definitely there. And as I listened to that, because it was so distinct from the music I grew up listening to and the music yeah. I grew up, while I loved tight harmonies and I loved because you, I got to experience that world. But here on the other side was more a rock and roll thing happening. And I was, that was in the early, early 70s. There was some really the world was changing around us. My baby boomer parents were figuring their lives out and the world was erupting around them. And I lived in this very tight religious community. And so experiencing this music that was forbidden fruit and was really good was both. There was something compelling about it, but at the same time, there was also something forbidden about it. And knowing that if I could be caught at any moment having this music in my, in my closet always was full of fear, but fear is a very powerful drug, I think, sometimes. Yeah, I, a little bit of a similarity. I grew up in a, a Southern Baptist household. Yep. Uh, my, my parents adored country music, and mm. my mom enjoyed early 50s, a lot of Bobby Darren, Fats Domino. So it was really good music. Not that I went through a spell as a Southern Baptist, a lot of Gaither music, and you would have yeah. on Saturday night, there would be the um, local family traveling Christian yes. artist, right? Yes. There oh, would be, there'd be the, the mom and the dad and the kids, they'd all sing a lot of covers of songs and maybe a few additions, and they'd have a cassette that you could buy or an album and my grandfather would buy those and play yep. them uh, yeah. a lot of beautiful music and i grew up i'm a little bit older than you so i graduated high school in 77 but i'm but we're close to that same era yeah. Yeah. where that am radio was this amazing but i can remember the joy to the world about always had good wine I felt a little uncomfortable saying that because <laughs> right. in right. our household, you know, and it's my wife is Catholic and I converted and I'm now having my own sort of conflict about religion, which is a whole nother podcast. Well, we could do a whole conversation on deconstructing yourself. Yeah. Yes, it yeah. is. Yeah. The idea of social drinking wasn't something in my house. And right. I found later it's because my father was an alcoholic. Mm. Yes. Not yep. one who went to AA or anything, just was someone. And so, therefore, there was no thought of having a cold beer after you cut the lawn and just using that. No, it was you have right. a drink, you're right. in a ditch, and you're a bump. <laughs> there was right. not it's a, it's a very, yes, yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. very close proximity to uh, having a beer on the deck to being in the ditch. Yes, exactly. Very much. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so you go to high school. You're gonna, you're going to, um, you became a music guy, tuba player, yep. in the band, doing choir. When did you come out of the closet with your love of pop music to your parents? <laughs> oh, I didn't really for a long time. So high school, of course, and so interesting things were happening in my family world, which freed up me to hear more music. So I got a car, right. which immediately, as soon as you get a car, you start listening to music and. I was into all the stuff that was playing in the in that the early 80s, my Sharona from the Knack, Village yeah. People with YMCA, Pointer Sisters. I was gung-ho and super tramp. I remember actually going to a concert and not actually going to the concert, but sitting on a hill outside a concert where Super Tramp was playing and and listening and just loving it. Nobody knew I was there of my family, but I went. I'm, I love Little River Band and Dire Straits and Queen and Billy Joel, a whole lot of them. But yeah. interestingly, and I don't know if you know this, but Canada has a rule structure around radio that they've had for a long time as a cultural, as a way to maintain Canadian culture that a percentage of the music played on radio stations has to be Canadian, which is why so many good Canadian bands happen, I think. And so I also grew up and you were if you turned on the radio, you're forced to listen to Brian Adams, Corey Hart, Loverboy, um, Gino Vanelli, Kim Mitchell, Rush, some of these iconic bands that come out of Canada, Red Rider. You in high school, when you went to high school dances at my age, you had to know the safety dance, which was a uh, by a band called Men Without Hats. And when safety dance came on, everybody knew that. And it was because Canadian radio had to play this amount of Canadian music. And so what was cool about that is you got the sort of the really popular stuff and then you got the Canadian popular stuff, much of which became very popular in the global music world. But there's stuff there that you just you didn't hear till later if you're in the US, but in Canada, you got a lot of that stuff early on because it was required music in the system. I was listening to all this stuff through high school 
And because I had so much more freedom in high school and because I had a car and because I, I was able to go and hang out with my friends, um, that became a real transition point for me to listen to a wide range of music, to become deeply in love with the music that was part of the world we were in at that point in time. So I'm going to go on a weird tangent, but I'm going to yes. circle back. <clears throat> Penn Gillette from Penn and Teller talk about that on their show, Fool Us, that if it's a card, it's a magician doing a card trick from Spain, they don't even have to see the trick to bring back the fullest trophy because Spain is so well known for card tricks. Hey, I do not think I've ever had a bad guest in Canada. <laughs> I, and in fact, one time, Skip uh, from the Skip and Josh Unscripted, we spent three hours talking. We just kept talking and yep. we kept going. But so I'd say that to say, first off, you're a great guest. But secondly, that has come up often that the Canadian radio having that here. And in fact, I have an episode coming up with another podcaster, friend of mine, a partner, the Tragically Hip. Yeah. And I oh, have yeah. spent some time yeah. and I keep bringing this up and people are going to say, quit talking about, but I'd be like, how did they not hit in the U.S.? Yes. The yeah. more I explore them, they oh, yeah. are amazing. Yes. And and that's the thing. Like, I, I should have said tragically hip because they were part of this whole world. And it's just, <laughs> what can you remember? There's so many. But yeah, the, the tragically hip are, are uh, it's a monster band in Canada. Like, you yeah. just, you lived and grew up on it. And it was part of your psyche. It's, and, it's so and much. Yeah. And when their lead singer died, right? The yeah. band. I felt that pain. Retroactively, I'm looking yeah. into this and I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't. John Lennon was assassinated, but you're trying to think of the of losing mm. that scope of a musician. It's pretty crazy. All right. So your dual identity. Still dual identity. I'm yeah. still dueling it out. Yes. In two worlds. Yes. That is awesome. All right. So when we originally talked, you said that eh, I've got a little Bruce knowledge, but really, someone else is my passion. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit. How did you discover Van Morrison and what about their music, his music? So I went to college. And so coming out of the history I did, I took a strange path because I didn't know anything different. My dad was a minister. My grandfather was a minister. I was the eldest son of the eldest son. And I decided that, and I just didn't know any different. I really loved music. And uh, and so I ended up going to seminary to do a music degree. So I, I did want to ask you this, and then I want to get back. Were you able to live with both sides? Like, as far as you're concerned, listening to this devil music <clears throat> was not anything an offense to your faith. In your mind, you could do both? At that point in time, yeah. Post high school, once I got into high school, yeah. I realized that the world that and the world that I had grown up in, this really extreme conservative world, blew up because my parents got divorced. We got okay. excommunicated from that world because of that divorce. And so I, to me, as high school unraveled and my own initial deconstruction, religious deconstruction started to happen, I realized that really tight rule set that I had grown in was no longer relevant. And to me, as I uncovered that, my family evolved and went through an extraordinary amount of pain. I I will not undermine it. It was yeah. a massive amount of pain and suffering and 
and trauma that we went through in that process. But coming out the other side, it no longer felt to me like I was fighting that the, like this was evil somehow, listening to music was evil and not. I decided to go into a music degree that happened in a religious setting, but not in the very tight conservative one that I grew up in. Um, I have much more deconstruction that's happened later in my life. But early yeah. on, I didn't know what else to do. I just, I felt, I felt uncertain. So I went to seminary, but in seminary, I banded with this group of misfits that were at school, but didn't really truly buy the program. Right. Um, and this group of misfits, one you guys found each other. We found each other. Somehow like we found each other. Are you not sure about this? I, right. The yes. reason I'll, was, I'll tell you yeah. real quick. So my son went through uh, first through eighth grade in Catholic element. Yeah. And then to go to Jesuit way. And he wasn't very strong academically at the time. And so we decided to, we're going to send him to public high school. And we were a little worried about it, but it just was, is what it is. So he went from this really small Catholic elementary school all the way to eighth grade. And on football practice, a guy was walking through with a MIS, which was another Catholic school t-shirt. And Chris went up to Colin and said, hey, did you go to MIS? Yeah, yeah. I went to St. Monica. Oh, is this your first year in school? Yeah. Were you a big deal? And yeah. Okay. And they bonded. Yeah. And, and they have, she, in fact, Colin is still in his life. Colin is his brother because we he was our only son. And for and that's why I'm laughing at that. Like they found each other. Yes they bonded immediately. So you're like, you guys yeah, found so, this band. Yeah. So this magnetic attraction of people who have similar spirits. And at one point we all decided to go away and we rented a cottage and the name of the group became the Nick Adams society. And so Nick Adams, right. I don't know if you remember Hemingway's stories. Hemingway had a, a series of short stories called the Nick Adams stories. And Nick Adams tends to be He's a character in these stories, but he goes off to the woods to to think about his life and to read and to and so we enhance that as the misfits because we weren't technically allowed to drink and do anything in in college. We signed papers saying that we wouldn't, but we would go to the cottage and we would take whiskey and cigars and and we would write stuff. We would all write things. And then we would read it to each other and we became the Nick Adams Society. And that Nick Adams Society has been going 30 plus years now. It's a really cool story. But in the Nick Adams Society, uh, what happened was we played music. So we would read stuff, but in the background was always music. And one of my friends, I think it was Dan Smith, turned on a Van Morrison from from one of his one of his, I think, amazing albums, No Guru, No Method, No Teacher. And something about it just went straight to me, like it got inside me. And so that that thing about Van Morrison is the way he writes music. But to me, it was something that just resonated. It like, you know how when a pitchfork resonates it at a certain tone, it like gets in your bones and your bones start to shake with it. For me, Van Morrison was that. I heard him and I went, oh my goodness, something there speaks to me. It's not that I hadn't heard previously Moondance and some of the his early work, but it was more in the sort of early rock stuff. The stuff that I was listening to was his deeply philosophical, spiritual stuff. And 
Well, the struggle I was having in seminary, trying to figure out what's this about and why am I doing this? And then hanging out with people who really were questioning a lot of it. Van Morrison, to me, was the epitome of that for me. It wasn't for everybody. It just, he happened to play it this one night. And I went, who the heck is that? And I locked in. And so it was a deeply connecting kind of music for me that got in my bones, that stuck with me. And it was like R&B and jazz and blues and poetry and story. And Van weaves it all together in an incredibly amazing way. And um, and so that's how I found Van in the middle of that. And somehow of all the music that was played, because everything got played in those in that Nick Adams Society, all kinds of different music. But Van was the one that that connected to me deeply that felt like I needed to listen to more of it. Did you go explore? Did you go find other albums, CDs? Oh, yeah. And, okay. Yeah, from there then, uh, do, do you remember the the CD clubs when CD clubs first came out and you could buy 10 CDs? Columbia House. Yeah, absolutely. Columbia House and um, Columbia House in Canada had, had the deals. And I would actually come up with a couple of ways to get double the amount and uh, and so I bought everything I could. I, I would order everything I could from Van, and and yeah, that it. I went down all the pathways and just became powerfully connected to his music. I remember reading at one point that Van said songs were like windows, and and that that to me opened this sense that yeah, the song was a window into something he was figuring out or exploring or had experienced, and so through him i was doing the same thing and and that that was that through all of those different albums that i listened to the ones that that i connected to uh, they they did something in me i don't know what it was and sometimes when you've spent a lot of time studying music when you hear someone whose voice is at the same tone as yours there's something also there so somehow i can sing a lot of his music just it just sings in the back of my head because I'm not trying to reach for it or go yeah. down too well for it. It's just right there. It's right there all the time. That's great. Yeah. I always yeah. like to preface this with the amount of times you've seen your favorite artist is not necessarily a barometer of how big of a fan you are. Yeah. But for the record, have you been able to see him perform live? Yes. And if so, do you count? I do count, but it's not many. And okay. it's, I've, Live, only seen him twice. And so the first time was in Toronto in 1990-ish, after I'd first got to know his music and really done it, done the initial deep dive. Uh, and it was at Maple Leaf Gardens in 1990. And I went and I remember sitting, I didn't get a great seat, but I sat way up mid-center in the stadium, but up way up high. And I remember that concert, it was a big stadium and loud because it was a hockey arena. And... Um, and I remember just feeling like this was the wrong fit for him. And I remember right. about halfway through the concert, he actually started getting mad because the fans were calling out like all his old music, but they weren't yeah. interested in where he was in 1990. And that was right. in the middle of his deeply spiritual stuff, healing game, uh, hymns to the silence, no guru, no method, no teacher. Some of the deeply philosophical stuff that he went through. Uh, and they were screaming for the old rock stuff or the old more rocky right. stuff. And I remember him going, ah, shut up. I want to play what I'm playing. And yeah. Van's known as a grumpy old, grumpy old guy anyways. And um, 
it was while I was I love being there. I sensed this was the wrong place for him to be. And afterwards, remember going, I want to see Van where it's just him and it's quiet and it's people that that are not screaming the whole night. And and so I got to do that in 2013 with my wife in San Francisco. And San Francisco is kind of cool because in the Masonic Temple in San Francisco, that's a stomping grounds for Van. His daughter lives in San Francisco area. San Francisco is a jazz hub for many years. And in 2013, Becky and I went to see him at the Masonic Auditorium, and it was exactly what I wanted it to be. It was worth the wait because it was spectacular. It was just a night that, you know, the band started and it just went wild. Celtic Swing came on and they went. And he has the tightest bands. And, and the interesting thing about Van in concert is he doesn't sing it the way he did. He's an improviser. He's a jazz improviser. And so anything you hear on the album will come out completely different in concert. And so if you listen to his concert albums versus his non-concert, there's this oh, this amazing energy that he comes with and he improvises stuff and he goes off, off, off the way he typically does it. And it was just sensational. So those are the two live events, both of which were at the end of each spectrum. There was the spectacular, the and the kind of train wreck, even though it was good, it just didn't feel right somehow. Right. Um, and so in there, and by the time 2013 had rolled around, I had been through so much more of life, my own full trend. Like I'd had a lot of stuff happen in my life. I'd been divorced. I had been through a lot of really difficult stuff. And Van's music deeply infected me now. Like it was a very different experience listening to him in 2013 than in 1990. And somehow his full range of music somehow was deep in and before it felt in my bones, like it resonated with my bones. But now in 2013, some of this music was like part of me now. It was essential to how I lived. I get that. I understand that immediately. The idea that we're, there are songs that the best example I can give is I remember liking Bruce Springsteen's song Independence Day from the River, but I didn't love it. And then when I saw him in 2016 do it live, and I don't know if you're familiar with the song, but it's yep. all about it. Yeah. So he was singing it as the 60-year-old person, knowing he'd written it when he was in his late 20s, 30s. So yeah. he had wrote it from the perspective of the son talking to the father. And now then him being the father's age, seeing that song, it really struck to me that you understand that both sides now. Yeah. And as Bruce said, it's a song about two people desperately loving each other and don't know how to talk. And and I often think of it, it makes my wife upset, but my son and her went through those stage right when he was around college and late high school college that you could tell they adored each other but they just couldn't fight couldn't find a way to talk that's that's beautiful i one of the things i remember most about van morrison is i had a dear friend that passed in 2011 but in the late 80s maybe early 90s and you i'm sure you'll know the album but it was van doing a lot of traditional Irish music. Yep. And and he was in love with that album. And anytime we went over to his house, he would play it. And his wife at the time, they 
later got divorced. I don't think this was the reason why. But she's like, why are you paying that crap again? <laughs> but I remember hearing that album and yeah. loving the music and the sound of his voice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, there's something about it. And it doesn't work for everyone. But when it does, yeah. it really connects in a deep way. And for me, like some of those songs, like you you described with with Springsteen, some of the songs that that really to me get deeply inside me. One one that has transpired and lived with me for many years was Healing Game, which is from the album The Healing Game, and then the song Healing Game, and that one became an anthem for me as I was processing through my life, and um, and I went through a a major cancer journey starting about six years ago. I had stage three rectal cancer and went through surgery and chemo and radiation. And that song was the the top of my playlist as the thing that pulled me forward. And that whole album was a powerful album for me, but that song in particular. And then days like this, I don't know if you ever saw the movie with Helen Hunt and, and Jack Nicholson, As Good As It Gets. And yes. As Good As It Gets, in that particular they go for a they go for a ride and as they get in the ride jack nicholson has made a, a tape for the ride and as they start the ride it starts with van morrison's days like this and that that song is just such a an amazing connection to that both that movie but to life like days that they're just going to be days like this that are they're sucky and they're and you just got to keep going and and then there's a song that uh, it's not Van's song, but he sings Saints Go Marching In. And one of my longtime coaches, somebody who probably had the most profound influence in my life, Rob Berkeley, who got cancer at the same time I did. And I he didn't make it. I got lucky and did. But through his entire experience of knowing he was dying, I would on every Friday morning as I was walking along, I walk along the Niagara River and I would play the Saints Go Marching In. And that, that thing just, I would cry, I'd bawl as I he was leaving and and just understand that and so there's this weird interesting thing with van is and he said it once somebody asked him in an interview why are your songs spiritual and he goes they're all spiritual they're all spiritual everything's the so he had this sense that like the songs are about something today but they're always reaching for something out there whatever that out there was and van's always seemingly searching he's a prolific songwriter and so the windows he talked about early in his career songs were like windows each of these windows was something happening in here that seeks to find something greater out there and whether it's exploring a new type of music or an old type of music or a story of his life and, and i have a, i have coaching clients in in ireland who say in, in ireland van's just the drunk on the corner street van's not all that big of a star in ireland I and mean, everybody right. thinks he's a bum yeah, he's done a lot of music, but he's just a drunk. And so it's really interesting. You find this man who is deeply flawed and yet exploring every facet of his life with this deeper longing for something greater. And that, to me, what draws me to him, because I feel like my life continues to be an exploration of what is and what's out there, what's here and what's there, what's now and what's future. And how does that connect to something bigger than me when I don't buy the old story? When, and that process yeah. through that has been really powerful for me as I've lived that story with Van somehow in, in the backdrop. 
as Bruce puts it, you'll need a good companion on this part of the ride. And Bruce's music has been a good companion for a lot of us. And it sounds like Van has been that way for you. Oh, yeah. Uh, How is your health? My health is amazing. I officially got kicked out of the cancer system just late last year. So late 2022. They exited me from the cancer system and said, no, no coming back. You're done. And I great, gratefully exited the buildings. Yeah, no. So I'm in, I think, some of the best shape of my life. 2017, I was diagnosed with colon cancer and it was only stage one. They caught it early just by pure luck. I was nauseous and I was in a lot of pain and Mm. went in, had to have cancer because it was so aggressive, they recommended chemo. I went through the chemo and listeners, you've heard the story before. So skip ahead a couple of minutes. I created an F cancer playlist that had a lot of Bruce Springsteen, Sarah Hickman, other songs, John Hyatt, that yep. people that yep. really mean a lot to me. And, um, and I'm a big reader, um, mm-hmm. but I didn't read during chemo. I didn't stream anything on my phone. I just put on that F cancer playlist, closed my eyes and just sat there. Yep. And just, it really did get me through. And it, the, I just can't, uh, and I love the fact that you're mentioning out that this music has been part of your life. As you were a young child, it was forbidden fruit and helped you through. It, it helped you in college find like people that yeah. could help you grow into a young adult and then it gets you through a broken marriage a new marriage yeah. all your yeah. through life and then through this medical journey that it truly is music is the consistent part of so many people's lives that hold yeah. our hand and get us through joy brightest joy gets us through sadness gets us through so very yeah, well, well I, I like you thank you for telling me that because that's really that's really an interesting connection because I built what I called my healing tracks, right? So yeah, I, yeah. I had my whole track of what I called healing tracks and Van features highly in that, but to bring full circle, Springsteen's also on my healing tracks and his song, If I Should Fall Behind, which yes. to me is a, there's a beautiful river in the valley ahead. There, There's, for me, part of that song was calling me forward to even though I was falling behind right now, it was pulling me forward to something. And there, there were many times through through my my sort of the hardest days of chemotherapy and radiation, actually turning on Nebraska. Nebraska to me is a beautiful, haunting. That's one that when you feel really down and things are not good, Nebraska is a beautiful way to connect to that that the depth of. I don't know what it is, but Nebraska always spoke to me too. So it's not in my healing tracks, but Nebraska was a song that was part of my journey through chemo and radiation. It is. I love that, the story. I often tell people that if I should fall behind, I think is as good a story about how hard you have to work on a marriage as possible. Um, But right again, I, we t- I talk about this sometimes that the lyrics, all that heaven will allow from Springsteen from tunnel of love is the, there is some lyrics where he says, I, he, I want to make sure I get it right. He said, where 
some men want to die young, die gloriously, but now get it straight, Mister. That's not me. I know he's writing it about a romantic life, but when you're yes. fading cancer, yes, I yes. want all the time, all right. that heaven will allow. Yes, and yeah, the, I love the beauty of. I tell this story often, Tom, and I repeat it often because I think it's so true. I grew up loving science fiction, still do. And Isaac Asimov was one of my favorite writers. And in his autobiography, he mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, he was telling a story and someone raised their hand and said, no, Dr. Asimov, that's not what the story's about. And he's, Isaac was always smart ass, goes, hey, I wrote it. Right. I think I know what it's about. And the guy says, what makes you think just because you wrote it, you know what it's about? And he realized and in the autobiography, he says, he said, you're right. I won't think that way anymore. And he says, reader, I know what I was thinking when I wrote it, but that doesn't necessarily mean right. when you're reading it, what yeah. you're getting out yeah. of it. Yeah. And yeah. I love that beauty. All yeah. right. We, we are getting close to when I got to let you go, but you got to give me a few minutes. Talk oh, to yeah. me about your other podcast, your podcast and what you do, how we connected is through a, there is a service where podcast hosts can pitch to each other. Hey, you want to be on my podcast? Yeah, oh, yeah, how about yeah. so talk to me a little bit about the podcast. I actually have two. I did podcasting back before it was cool. And I know you've done a lot of podcasting, but I was podcasting yeah. back in 2011. I started my first podcast back when nobody even knew what it was, really. And I was just, yeah. I was playing, but um, uh, I love studios. And as you're aware, I'm uh, right now, I'm sitting in my studio, which is built, purpose built off my office to be uh, a studio. And I spend all my time primarily as an executive coach, as an advisor. I work with CEOs. I've been doing that about 20 years. But as part of my process of really figuring things out and figuring people out or figuring industries out, I do podcasts as a way to get to know people. And years ago, I built a podcast in an industry that I had gotten to know because I had owned in that industry, a company in the commercial records management industry, which stored and managed the physical documents of the business and government and healthcare world. So, you know, my building was filled with thousands and thousands of boxes of archival records. And so back in the day, I built a podcast about that. And it's not a sexy topic. It doesn't have big numbers. Like it's not the world coming at me, but it allowed me to build a big network of people in that industry. Subsequently, my current two podcasts, I have one called The Shred Coach, where I help companies in the shredding industry. So companies that shred the paper documents of the world. That's an industry that I've had lots of years in. And I have another podcast called The Advisory Board Insider, and I do a lot of conversations with people who manage, live in, are part of, or sponsor advisory boards and companies and organizations, businesses, government, whatever that is. So those are my two podcasts, and those are fun. I do online video training, and I, I like to be a really big fish in a very small pond. Is really, kind of, really kind of my thing, as opposed to being a big rock star in the world. I prefer to just be a small rock star. And I don't know if you ever read Kevin Kelly's work, A Thousand True Fans. I don't know if you've ever read that, but it's a very valuable oh. read called Kevin okay. Kelly, who started Wired Magazine, wrote a article called A Thousand True Fans. And his premise was, if you get a thousand true fans, a thousand people that will follow you to the end, you can have a magnificent life. And I 
took that to heart and have really focused on who are the thousand people that I want to have an influence on. And, and that that's really served me well. So that's what I do. I a podcast for fun or as a way to create connection and community, like I believe you do. And, and then my job is actually working with CEOs and helping them to figure their lives out and their business lives. And, um, I tend to have a premise in my work, which is most business problems are personal problems in disguise. And so that's the nature of the work I do. A lot of times people come to me when they're struggling with an aspect of their business that just doesn't make sense. You can't solve it through a consultant or through a, a better piece of software. The solution is often the CEO's got some muck they have to work. Interesting. Yeah. Good. God, this has been fascinating. I really I know we could keep going. I'd love yeah. to keep going. Yeah, I, we do. All right. I don't know if Van is currently touring, but if he is or if he's going to tour again, are there a couple of songs you're chasing that you would love to hear him live do? Uh, yes, he's still he's still putting out albums. He completely blows my mind. But if I have a dream, it's to actually see Van in his hometown of Belfast. Um, and there's something, I don't know why that calls me so much, but I'd specifically like to see him because he, he's, and I don't even know if they're still with him. I haven't actually checked this out, but Brian Kennedy on the albums I used to listen to was that really high harmony voice that just gets inside my bones because he's a harmony to my voice too. And so if he were singing with Brian Kennedy and some of the, there's a song that Van wrote called Philosopher's Stone and Philosopher's Stone the premise of Philosopher's, Philosopher's Stone is the people who turn lead into gold. And it's a song about him, I think, about his journey through music and being on the road and how hard it is every day to come up with something new. And so to me, if I could hear anything, I would love to hear Van Morrison live in Belfast with Brian Kennedy as his background vocal singing Philosopher's Stone. And that would be magical, but I could take any of his hymns to the silence, healing game, any of the stuff that I've loved for many years, Rough God Goes Riding, Whenever God Shines His Light. There's so much great music that Van wrote and delivered that if I could answer one, that would be the one, Philosopher's Stone. That that sounds awesome. I've made a couple of notes to go and listen to some more. I don't know when Bruce put out the Seeger Sessions, which was a collection of songs all about in tribute to Pete Seeger. Yep. His live version, live in Dublin, he does When the Saints Go Marching In, a different version. I don't know if you've heard that. Uh, have you? Yes. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So now I want to compare uh, Van's version of the Saints Go Marching In to oh, Bruce's. Yes. And just yeah. right to have a little duo. That sounds great. Oh yeah, that'd be, um, that, that'd be a beautiful experiment to to play with. It makes me think yeah. I want to do that too because you hear lots of people have covered that song, but right. I, for me, when Van did it, it was like, oh my gosh, this is extraordinary. And yeah. I'm sure with Bruce's version of it, that would be pretty sensational as well. His version of this little out of mine brought me back to Baptist church camp. Oh yes, where all these there is a lot. Of, of baggage yep. that in your youth you have, but there also you have to be aware there also was a lot of joy. Oh and being in that oh that camp and all yes. these kids running from 10 to 16 singing and praising it just it there was a joy to that. 
then I think it's really important that you hymns to the silence is really there's a lot of yeah. stuff in hymns to the silence. It's a double album. Historically, it was yeah. a double album, but a lot of Van picks up a lot of old hymns as well in that one. But hymns to the silence has some of that stuff. Be thou my vision. Uh, and so much good stuff in there too that calls you back. And I, I feel the same. I feel like so often when you've done the work of extracting yourself from your history and resetting yourself in a new way. But for me, the depth of that history of music is such an important part of how we look at the world and how we experience the world. And to me, sometimes my wife scratches her head and goes, why on a Sunday morning, even though I'm not heading to church, I'm playing some of that old gospel of Gaither music. There's something yeah. in there that still calls me back. And there's that yes. history. And I don't know, the older I get, the I feel like the more it calls me. The younger I was, the more I was willing to leave it. But now I feel like there's times when I have to go back and listen to it, not because I completely buy the program. It's because the music somehow is so resonant in my body, in my history, in my experience that I I feel like sometimes I need to go back and listen to it just to honor it, honor what it gave me. Even if it didn't give me what I ultimately took from it, I got something different that that still, like the harmonies, the harmonies that came out of that early Gaither music somehow got inside of me. And, and when you listen to that and then you listen to another kind of harmony, you go, oh man, that that tenor on that, that tenor in the, uh, the four-part harmony is outstanding, which is why Brian Kennedy spoke to me because Brian Kennedy yes. from Van Morrison had that high tenor voice that that I learned listening to the Gaither band. Absolutely, yeah. I agree. Yeah. All right, so before I let you go, I have to ask you the Mary question. For those of you who are checking out Tom because he promoted this on his other two podcasts, Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher that has retired about a year ago. But when he was teaching, he would give his students the lyrics to Thunder Road. They would go through line by line, looking at the word choices, looking at the imagery Bruce is building in this poem. And then at the end of the two days, he would ask his class the question, does Mary get in the car? So Tom, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? I, I have I, thought, I thought about that thought question about that because question. I've heard you talk to other people about it. And um, I, I'm not completely sure. I feel like no. Okay. I feel like no. And I don't have a good reason for that. I just, I just, I don't think she gets in the car. As I've shared, 60% say yes, 40% say no. So you are not in a huge minority. You are, it's almost, you know. Yeah, I think Jay believes she doesn't get in the car. He believes she is too afraid. And he says he doesn't know if he would love Thunder Road as much as he would have if she did get in the car. The idea that she's too afraid to make that choice, to make that decision. So that's a great answer. That sounds yeah. good. I think we all have um, places in our lives where we're, we don't know whether to get in the car or not. I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. And that's well said. If someone wants to reach you, what's the best way? Uh, easiest way to find me is tomadams.com. That's, that's my home base for everything. I have my podcasts on there, two podcasts on there. I have my all of my coaching and advisory board work. I have all my training on there. And that leads out into all of my socials 
which okay. I tend to be probably most active on LinkedIn, just because that's the kind of community I tend to be more connected with. But Tom Adams coach on LinkedIn, Tom Adams coach on Facebook, on other platforms, Tom Adams on Twitter, but TomAdams.com is the center of my world, which is my website. All right. Sounds great. This was a blast. Thank oh, you. Jesse, it was absolute joy. It was absolute <laughs> joy to talk about this with you and to share my my love of van, but also my deep love of music. And thank you for continuing to remind people of the joy of that. So great to be with you. Those are very kind words. All right, listeners, go check out Savan Morrison. I know I'm going to, but for now, be kind, be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. I want and need your feedback. You can reach me multiple ways to tell me what you like or don't like about the show. You can reach out to give me guest suggestions or maybe to join me on the podcast yourself. We're on Twitter at setlustingbruce or at Jesse Jackson DFW. I have an Instagram, setlustingbruce or Jesse Jackson DFW. Our Facebook page, facebook.com slash setlustingbruce. Go to patreon.com slash setlustingbruce to find out how you can support the show and we have several tiers of support please go to your favorite podcast player and hit subscribe and tell a friend about the podcast because that is the way we're going to grow if you're not tired of hearing me speak you can hear me on next stop everywhere the doctor who podcast where charles skaggs and i talk all things doctor the how many podcast where me and my friends gary scott bob and jr talk pop culture and finally my newest podcast the last best hope for conversation a babylon 5 podcast where karen lou and i are going through the tv show babylon 5 one episode at a time i am always looking for guests so please reach out to me setlustingbruce at gmail.com You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Living Bruce. The theme for Set Living Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.